0: I'm Siri Lindley, two-time world champion, author, speaker, animal activist, survivor and thriver. I have found a way to overcome every challenge and to take the impossible and make it possible. On my podcast, we're going to talk real life. We're going to get vulnerable. We're going to go first. You're not alone in your fears, your doubts, or your worries. The most successful people in the world have them. Stick with me on this journey. I will help you harness your power, claim your magic, and create the life that you dream of. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bedhead Chronicles. Today, I am thrilled to introduce you to Mike Trees. Mike Trees is a seven times master champion in triathlon and running, but his endurance career has spanned over 50 years. And this man in front of us today, this legend, first of all, I think he is an extraordinary human being, an inspiration, an incredible coach who offers up unbelievable content for those of you looking to improve your run, whether it be training, racing, or just being able to stay fit and be your very best no matter what age, especially 50 plus. Because Mike here, now there's a lot of stories I want to share, and I know I'm. this is a long intro, but this man deserves it. Um, this guy at 60 years old has run 17 minute 5k, but not just that. If you hear what else has happened in the last year for this guy, you're going to be simply amazed. So Mike Trees, welcome. Thank you for being here and blessing us all with your presence and your gifts. I cannot wait for our conversation.
1: I'm looking forward to it. Thank you very much for inviting me. uh, And I'm looking forward to uh, learning from you as well.
0: (laughs) Uh, Well, one of the things I love about you, Mike, and is that we just share virtually the same philosophy on everything and this is how my wife beck and I discovered you really or really got to know you as we're like this guy's amazing all the content that you post is so on par with what we believe and what we teach and you're just incredible and I want to say first of all I'm so happy that you're here today because maybe you can uh fill people people in on what happened just in the last year to you um, and what your last, say, six months have looked like. Okay. so
1: going back before that, I had, a, I had to plan to get back into triathlon. I'd been running a while and thought I'd have a go at Ironman. I've never really done that. Ironman Kona, see how well I could do with my age group. So I went to Ishigaki Jima where the World Cup was, uh, triathlon, to do some training. First day uh, out on the bike, I fell off my bike broke my femur and my pelvis uh and basically rushed to hospital uh in in hospital uh and (laughs) the surgeon sort of quite candidly said yeah this is quite serious so uh they uh they put a pin well they put two pins in one in the the hip one down the femur uh well rods they're called uh then lots of uh cable ties to hold it all together uh and lots of uh bolts uh and uh that that was yeah a bit of a shock I was in hospital for a month uh I had a a stint in intensive care because I lost a lot of internal bleeding so they had to do washouts for my kidneys it was it was basically uh a bit of a long haul uh in hospital and while I was in hospital uh I, I posted this on on sort of my Instagram account I lay there and thought well I can either lie here and feel sorry for myself, which I never do in anything in life, uh, or I can get out of here. I remember my wife was brilliant. We we're on, uh, like, like you, you I, I, get the feeling that you and Becky are like me and my wife. I, I can't sort of live without her support. And I was lying on the table, in absolute agony. I kept saying, "Can I have any morphine?" And they kept saying, "No, no morphine." Uh, so there's no, nothing more than about aspirin and paracetamol to get me through. Uh, And I lay there and uh, I was crying, actually, and my wife was like, look, a Japanese guy wouldn't be crying, Mike. And the surgeon said, no, this is one of the most painful things there is. I think everyone cries. And so I was lying there and said, "Okay, I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to do the Ironman. Uh, And this is even when I was in intensive care, when we just got into the hospital. So from there, they put me on on traction for a week because I'd lost about six inches in leg length. Then uh, they, they put it together. And while I was in hospital, I remember asking for some arm weight so I could just keep my arms moving and keep the aerobic function going. Uh, and everyone thought I was crazy. Uh, and it just went from there. Then, when everyone was asleep, I used to get up in the middle of the night in my wheelchair and wheel myself to the, uh, uh, like the, the coffee room, the meeting room. And I, I'd get on the, the, and I got some little videos I took with the iPhone. And i started start doing push ups and tricep dips. Uh, and then I would get back before the nurses realized I'd gone. Uh, and so those are the sort of things I was doing in hospital Uh, and and in the middle of the night I had some great friends in uh, California that it was the only time difference that they could speak to and they helped get me through I was in so much agony I just had I couldn't wait to get up in the morning and at least doing my push-ups my my dips and my exercises I was in pain but I felt I was doing something uh, as opposed to lying there in bed Uh, and uh, anyway a month later I got out of hospital uh, and from there I set a a program up to to try and do the Ironman. Uh, But in in between that time, it's been a hectic six months. We emigrated from Japan to New Zealand. So I had to get me and the family to relocate, ship all the goods and and everything. But again, my wife did the lion's share of the work. Uh, She's a a good athlete in her own right, a Spartan athlete, CrossFitter, very strong. Uh, And so she did all the packing and she said, you just focus on getting fit uh, and getting strong. So uh, I, I focus on that. We relocated to New Zealand. I came here in May on crutches uh, and bumped into a guy you probably know, actually, he was world, the world champion in the 90s, Matt Brick.
0: Oh, uh, of he course. Was double,
1: yeah, well, double world champion. He's now my orthopaedic uh, consultant. Uh, he lives in New Zealand. He lives 200 metres away from me. And I walked into his office in May on crutches and said, I'm going to do the Ironman in October. And he looked, he said, it's impossible, Mike. No way, absolutely no way. Come with me the next year. I'll be 60. We can go there together the following year, you know, in 2023. And I said, nope, I've told my wife I'm doing it this year. And he looked and he goes, Jesus, you're serious, aren't you? He said, well, look, if you're going to do it, you need to get certain criteria done. For a start, you have to come back in two weeks' time off the crutches. So two weeks' time, I get back off the crutches. And then he says, then you need to start doing these exercises, you need to complete these with these bands to go to the next level. You know, two weeks time, I'm in the office again. Yep, done that, done that. <laughs> Tick the boxes. Uh, and then around about July, he said, look, the, the bones healed just enough. I think you can start running, but it it, it won't really work. There's no proper reception. There's no recoil. You, you, you probably won't be able to run much. So uh, anyway, I started running and, and doing it on a hill, doing lots of drills and activities. Uh, and the, the short you know, the long story short, I got back into running uh, and I completed the Ironman in uh, just over 11 hours in Kona. So I managed
0: in 11 hours. Are you kidding me? Like this all sounds impossible to me. But to me, it's such, you know, a testament to what you know, about getting fit about staying healthy about getting strong about preparing for any kind of an event. But through all of this, like what was, what has been, I mean, 11 hours, first of all, 11 hours for the Hawaii Ironman after, you know, everything that had happened is just extraordinary. So what was your number one, your drive that saw you in the hospital, even though you're in agony, but still doing your tricep dips and your pushups, like what is the drive behind that? What is the why that pulls you through these you know I, I think
1: the the under overriding thing is you have this innate drive in you uh, mm-hmm. that you can actually hone in and develop over time and and I get this from your talks and the way you you talk to people and motivate people that a lot of people think things are impossible. I wanted to prove it was possible is one thing and I wanted to prove that We can push back the barriers further than we are. Now, I've got through it. I'm not special. I'm just a human like everyone else. And all I had that was a little bit special is I have a good base of physiology and anatomy. So I can differentiate between a good pain and a bad pain. Uh, And so when I'm doing my rehab, I know how far to push it and when to back off. But I haven't done anything different. Apart from that, I'm no different from anyone else. I'm 60 years old, so my body's weaker than in, in essence than a young guy. It should recover slower. But I just wanted to prove what was possible. And if I didn't get there, that wasn't the that wasn't the point for me. It was to see how what was possible. So if I didn't finish, I wanted to stop at a certain point and say, well, this is as far as I can go, for my my drive and my own sort of self-worth. I didn't want to finish the Ironman because I was dehydrated or make what I call non-professional mistakes. I didn't want to underfuel, go too fast, swim too hard. So I set myself what I thought were realistic targets along the way. Uh, And if the leg gave out, that was fine. But I didn't want to not finish it for some external factor. Uh, And so I was quite happy to get through. But what drives me is constantly just looking for positive people. This is where you and Siri are great. I'm sorry, you and Becky are great. That I I, I look for positive reinforcement and anything that's negative, I just move on. So that I tell myself I can do it daily. Uh, And uh, I kept saying, yeah, I'm doing it. Uh, And my wife is great because she kept saying, you never complained once, you were never negative or minus about anything. I said, well, no, it is what it is. I didn't go out of my way to crash. I didn't do something ridiculously silly. It was just unfortunate that I hit, well, actually I hit a cow pat on the road and it was wet and my wheels went under me, that was it. Uh, So it it happened and things happen for whatever reason. Uh, And then my view is, okay, I was trying to win Kona. Now I'm just trying to get to Kona Uh, and you just have to draw a line and move on. And I think my special strength is I can draw that line very quickly and I can go into rehab mode And actually, I love the rehabilitation. I I made a whole point of saying, yesterday I could do, we'll say, five push-ups. Today I'm going to do 10. Tomorrow, 15. Uh, Okay, today I can't walk. Okay, what do I have to do to get back to walking? And set a program about doing it and focusing on that and focusing about every day and enjoying every day. I didn't want to say I'm cutting out six months of my life. So I enjoyed the whole process of getting fit again. Uh, And I think that's my strength. i've learned over the years to to be positive
0: this is amazing mike and this is what i talk about every single day and that is that our experience of life is always determined by what we choose to focus on and the meaning we choose to give the things that happen and to me what i'm hearing from you is you are focusing on what you could do not on what you couldn't do what might be possible not what might be impossible you focused on You know, along the way, how far you had come rather than how far you had to go and those things just in themselves, um, you know, make it clear that that's why you were able to do this, but have you always been this way because you talk about belief you talk about you can build this belief that you know things are possible and that you're no different than anyone else, but how do you get to that point? How do you take someone that has you know, doubts themselves in every area and they want this, they wanna achieve something spectacular, but to them, the meaning that they give that is, that's impossible, someone else can do it, but not me. So how do you build that belief over time? And have you always been this way or did you become this man that has this incredible mindset?
1: I wasn't this way. I was a runner as a kid uh, and uh, unfortunately I was up against the Coes, the Overt's, the Steve Crams, uh, names that people might know that I, I tell everyone quite jokingly and quite seriously. I was the fifth fastest runner in my class at university uh, and Jack Buckner, who not, not well known, but he got a bronze medal in the, the World Championships, 5000 metres. Uh, Andy Green was a 210 marathoner. I mean, these are people in my my class at university. So I was the fifth fastest runner in my class. Uh, and I used to always think I can't do it. And I was always beaten. And I would go into races thinking, oh, what if I get a cold? Oh, what if I have a bad run? Uh, and it was when I got into triathlon that I really changed full time. And I started thinking about what I can achieve, not what I can't achieve. So it's been a, a, an actual change. I come from a a working class background a family you know they were they're teachers but always saying well look no, no son you you if you work hard you can become a teacher you can get a small house in in the nice part of town and you get nice holidays and have a nice but don't try for things too hard because you might fail uh, and and the school was saying that so we had we had to overcome that system yeah uh, but it was little things along the way that resonate uh, and I like to pick up off other people. I like to learn from other people. One thing is I, I learned Japanese when I became an adult at 20, 21. Uh, and I was really bad at it. And, and I remember the teacher saying, well, a, a child will look at a, a newspaper or a book and say, I can do this, I can read that, I know that word. An adult will look at a, a newspaper in a foreign language and say, I don't know that, I don't know this. So a child's mind is actually open, but some way along the line, we're meeting negative people that close our minds, so we have to stop associating with the negative people in the world yeah. because they'll keep the mind closed, and start associating with the positive people that'll open the mind. Now, I haven't had any formal education in this; I just gradually picked it up as I went along. That that guy's not good for me. That guy's saying I can't do it. Ah, this guy is good. He say you can do it. Get out and do it. And <laughs> when I was saying I'm going to do the Iron Man, it was people like you and Becky say, "Of course you're going to do the bloody Iron Man. You're going to rock it." Uh, and it was other people saying that oh do you think it's a wise thing to do that uh and uh, and I think it's a safety net because people don't like to fail but by being negative and trying not to fail you you also don't succeed at the same time see Uh, and and a big thing so one last thing that that really kicked me in the last I've really come forward since probably even retiring the last 20 years is I lost my sister very young to cancer and uh she, I remember when I, I was looking after for the last six months uh, and every day she said, Mike, I'm going to uh, get in the pool and I can't swim anymore, but we're going to walk uh, 10 lengths uh, and I'll take a rest at each one. We'll talk. And she had to walk in the pool because it's a bit shaky. Uh, and then in the end, and uh, she was in the room and even with a few days to go, she was like, nope, I only did three laps around my bedroom yesterday. We're going to do four today. We're going to do four and I'm going to get better. Unfortunately... Uh, she was unfortunate. She couldn't have the surgery in time and she didn't get over it. But she was positive to the end. She was going to kick it and going to keep getting stronger and stronger. And I thought just, you know, sort of in homage to her almost. It's like, you know, in respect to my sister, she was positive right to the end. I've got to do the same, you know, and and I found that actually being positive has, has changed a lot of things because a lot of good things happen. Uh, I think mean, you've got to be realistic, but uh, but yeah.
0: I love that so much, Mike. First of all, I'm so sorry that you lost your sister. She sounds incredible. And Mm -hmm. she makes me think of myself in the hospital. Like, I'm going to go from the bed to the couch to the chair 15 times today. Tomorrow, I'm going to do it 20 times. So same kind of philosophy. But I love that that is motivation for you to live your life in her honor. The way that you live your life is honoring your sister because that's what she would do and i love that and i think that that's just so incredibly powerful to have her how often do you think of her is she always in your mind
1: oh i mean every every race every sport i mean she she comes into my mind in in terms of what i do because she just lived the sport she was just unfortunate that she yeah. she was very nervous so she had the the other problem that she she didn't like competing so much she could train and train but she was can push herself, but couldn't push herself against other people. Mm. Uh, and so I'm not going to be like that in the sense of yeah. not racing. I'm sure she would have loved racing and have been very good at it, but she, she decided not to race just to train and to do lots of adventures on her own, but uh, always going out there and always asking me, you know, uh, you know, how, how the training is going, what, what I was doing. So uh, yeah. I mean, she comes into my mind every day.
0: Amazing. And, and I love what you say is so very true. You know, proximity is power who who are you spending time with because we get to choose don't we if you're surrounded with people that are telling you you can't and telling you you should you know just focus on getting that teaching position where you have two weeks of holiday and you know stay safe you know we get to choose who to put in the front row of our lives and who to put in the back row it doesn't mean that we have to you know cut these people out of our lives but who do you want to listen to who do you want to be influenced by and it sounds like you just have you know this commitment to yourself that you're going to hang out with the ones that believe in you and believe in doing great things and will stretch you and push you higher rather than spending time listening and taking in the negativity from those who don't and that's an easy thing for all of us to be able to do
1: i think there's two things here that you you've hit. We, we need to be positive, but what people who are struggling, in my view, I think they, they haven't got a plan and they don't know how to put a plan together. Mm-hmm. So part of me was, I started writing on Instagram actually just for fun. Uh, and uh, actually it's a funny story why I started on Instagram, my, I'll, I'll, separate from this, but when I started on Instagram with my son, uh said oh a friend of mine posts pictures it's about five years ago on Instagram and I think they get free product for doing it and I said oh I'll have a go at that it could be quite easy and he goes no no Instagram's a young kids thing dad you won't have a clue so that was a red rag to a bull so uh obviously I started writing uh, and then initially I didn't really know what I was doing and then I I, I started writing tips uh for running and it, it took off uh, and I started doing them and changed to that because I thought I'm in my late 50s, I have so much knowledge that I've amassed. Yes. It would be an outrage for me not to pass yeah. this on, to take this to the grave. I've had so many people helping me for free along the way that I set it up not for any other reason, not not to make money, not to do anything else. A few things have happened along the way in terms of we, we've made, we're starting to coach and we had a little business. But the idea was just to pass on information for free and give people tips to get going. And this is what, a lot of people struggle with. They don't know how to put the structure in place. So that's why I now do coaching. I also do life coaching as well. And so I'm trying to help people put the structure to their lives to be able to go forward. So they, a lot of people are positive. I want to go forward. I want to go forward, but I don't know how to. Mm-hmm. And I think you and I uh, are very privileged in the sense that yes. we've learned a lot through the sport. We've learned how to put this plan together and we can help people put life plans together which, you know, which is super important. Uh, yes. and I think that's the whole, the whole thing to me. So my philosophy is, you know, you, you've got to get a life plan uh, and then the sport is just part of that life plan.
0: And if there's anyone listening today and is struggling in your own life, is struggling to turn the negative to the positive, follow Mike on Instagram. It's at run N R G. And the content that you put out there, Mike, it's just, it's so valuable. And I truly do feel this is your gift to the world and it's helping so many people. And I agree that we have a responsibility, you know, and I would love to hear who are those people in your lifetime that you really look back at and thank, you know, for their impact on you and influence.
1: I would like to say my father, but I can't. He was uh, he was a good sportsman, but he, he drank a lot when I was growing up. So I mm-hmm. didn't see him a lot. Uh, he wasn't a bad father, but he just didn't. My mother was a, a, a pushy parent that just wanted me to get a better life than her. So I, I love I love them both, uh, but I respect my mother for what she did to get me through the education and everything. But we didn't have the fun times that I have with my kids. I mean, my kids are my best friends. I mean, we we just have a blast all day, you know, all all the time. Uh, And I don't feel... But my mother was the old school mother that, you know, eat with the knife and fork correctly, uh, pronounce your letters correctly, learn to spell, all this sort of thing. So I respect her for that. But in terms of guidance that really got me places, the, the first guy I met was when I was... Well, uh... Really, when I just turned to do triathlon, up till that point, I got people giving me tips, but they're never really helping me. It was just, I was an afterthought. I wasn't quite in the group. I wasn't quite good enough. Oh, Mike, do this as well, do that. But they weren't my coach. But I met a guy called Roy Carter uh, from Cottenham, and he, he was at Cottenham is in Cambridge, uh, in, in England. Uh, and uh, he had a group of top athletes. He coached the uh, water ski national team. He, he coached some professional cricketers, footballers, all different sports. And I went to him with an injury uh, and he said, oh, I remember you from your running days. And he said, you are a mess. He said, let me help build you up. And I went there and I paid to get the physio and paid to at the gym. And then one day I said I was doing the national championships. And he said to me, he said, well, uh, but I can't win because I haven't got the right equipment. He said, well, what do you need? I said, well, I need a disc bike. I need a disc on the, 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 the bike. I need some better equipment, a hero helmet. I just haven't got the money. And he said, oh, go to such and such bike shop. They'll sort you out. And I said, I haven't got the money. And Roy was old school, strong, you know, almost military. And he goes, go to the bike shop, son, and get the equipment. Don't worry about the money. And I went there and they said, oh, Roy's paid for everything. Uh, and then from that point, he said, look, you're struggling. Just come over here and stay at my house you know, on weekends. You'll, you'll train a lot better. Uh, and he took me under his wing uh, and guided me from the start of trial to becoming professional. Uh, and it, it, for him, it was you will achieve. There was no negatives at all course you're going to become a professional of course you're going to be the best in the world of course you'll do this uh, and then i remember training and and i was still a bit negative from the running ideas in those days and we're doing a leg press and i'm about my limit i said i can't do any more and roy would just beam down at me he said boy i'll tell you when to stop i know when you can't do any more uh, and from that point on i never said i can't do it i just did it and he would say that's enough you've done well well done uh Uh-oh. and uh, he, he looked after me through all the 90s and I would come back from Japan and see him. And uh, he, you know, he became a very, very good friend. Unfortunately, he died a couple of years ago now, but uh, an old man. But uh, he, he was possibly the biggest influence uh, on changing me from negative to positive. So I would say that if people are struggling, you need a mentor, someone you respect and someone you can look up to. Who will guide you if you don't respect them you're not going to follow what they say uh, and i respected him and trusted him and he kept saying things like look if you get injured that's my fault mike i will rebuild you i'm a physio you know so trust me i know what i'm talking about but he had an innate knack of, of knowing when the limits were uh and uh yeah i think of him uh, as well like my sister most days i'm training think what would roy tell me to do would roy tell me to stop you know some days i turn up for training and he would just look at me and say boy go home and rest you're not training today <laughs> yeah. uh, and I said, okay, so uh that's yeah that's uh probably my biggest influence
0: what an incredible an incredible influence at that I mean to have someone that believes in you even more than you do but I what really resonated one of the things you said is that You in the moment saying, I can't do any more, I can't go any harder. And my coach Brett did the same thing. He said, Well, you know, yes, you can find a way, like there's more. And what I soon realized is that there was so much more than I could have thought, but I just, my threshold for pain, you know, I was hitting it and I didn't think that it was possible to go beyond that. But once you realize that, once you realize, just how powerful your body is and what you're capable of, did you find that that just, you know, took you leaps and bounds forward, just that in itself?
1: We're constantly learning. Uh, and uh, that in itself took me forward a, a, long, a, a long way. But even now, for example, I remember I was about 55 uh, and I had a prolapse disc and it actually exploded. And I was in a, a wheelchair, we moved, we moved the bed into the living room and the lounge so i could be part of the family and i thought well <laughs> i'm not going to give so uh, it, it got the point where i was in this wheelchair and I, I would get myself swimming and i remember going in the pool and people saying should you be swimming and i just looked and said look it bloody well hurts whether i swim or i don't swim so i may as well swim so that got me used to a new threshold of pain uh, and then one day actually the the thing exploded i had to go to a and e uh, and have an operation and we sorted it, uh, and I, I, you know, obviously, like everything else, I came back. I thought that was the highest level of pain. Then I broke my femur, which I heard is probably one of the most painful things to do, and that's given me a new appreciation of pain and how to cope with pain and how to get the pain out of your mind and focus on other things and little things that, almost like cliches, you know, I can't go on another second, I can't go on another minute, another day. It's like, okay, I can go on another, you know, What's this pain like? I can cope with this for five more minutes. OK, we'll go for five more minutes, and then we'll think about it. And then you get to five more minutes, and then another five more minutes, uh, and on and on. And in the, the Iron Man, I've got to say, that was possibly one of the most painful things I've done. What people uh, don't realize is that although the bone has got rods in, the rods don't move at all. Titanium's pretty solid. Uh, and Matt Brick, my, my consultant, would say, well, yeah, people don't realize that bones actually flex a little bit. So where those screws are attached, where those cable ties are attached, where those rods go into the bones, you're going to hurt like hell. (laughs) Uh, Every time you hit the ground, the the shock's going to vibrate. And and they did. But I realized that it didn't get any worse when I stopped running. It it was just a a transient pain that I had to cope with for the four hours I was running with. Uh, And you do strategies. So maybe I'm hoping I can now race a little bit better. So when I'm swimming and I think I can't maintain this pace... I'll think, no, nope. think back the leg. Okay, we'll just maintain it for another minute and then we can slow down. Get yeah. to that minute. Wow, this is hurting. I'm struggling. Let's just try another minute and then slow down. Another minute, then slow down. Because that's all I was doing in the run. I kept thinking aid station. Okay, I've got an aid station. What can I get at the next aid station? How can I keep running to the next aid station? Uh, and how can I take my mind off this pain and come back to it? So uh, the, the accidents along the way have helped me mentally get tougher and cope with the pain uh, and obviously what I haven't learned because it's so new is how can I get these messages across to people without them having to break a leg because obviously you don't want people to suffer the pain and the trauma you want to help them cope with get get strategies to cope without having to go through the, the pain that you've suffered with for example with your cancer treatment I, I know for a fact seeing my sister suffer how you've suffered and, and I know you don't really go through that at all, but I know you've suffered a lot. And I think that's amazing that you think what I've come through my leg it, is big because it's not compared to what you came through. Uh, it, it's very minor in compared to what you've come through. But other people, we want them to get how can we get our message across without yeah. them having to suffer like we have? Well,
0: let's figure this out, because that is a, that's some a question that I ask myself every single day. Because I try, and you know, one of the message messages I've tried to pass on is that when you're in that kind of pain where your life is kind of on the line, and maybe when you first got to the hospital, like you know, things were getting pretty serious. You had the infections, but in that moment, I think one of the greatest gifts is that I started thinking about, you know, have I lived my life in a way that I'm going to be happy with? Should I not make it to tomorrow? And I thought about in that moment, you know, what mattered most to me. And the three things that I realized would matter most at the end of my life is that, you know, did I love with all my heart? Like if I love my wife, did I tell her all the time how much I love her? Did I do the things that I love? The second thing, did I live fearlessly? Did I do things that scare me? Did I do things that seemed impossible and at least try? And the third thing was, Did I matter? Did I make a difference in this world? And I came up with those three things. And that has been such a gift because it leads me to, in every single moment, living my life truly on purpose. If I'm being asked to do something, I ask myself, is it going to lead to me being able to answer those three questions in the affirmative at the end of my days? If the answer is no, I don't do it. If the answer is yes, I do it. But so I share this message and you know i think people get it and i think it helps people but so often people have a hard time shifting to a whole new perspective on things unless they're put in that situation like i was in like you were in like your sister was in so how i mean let's work this out together today mike let's find a solution today together
1: so, one, one thing that I, I find very helpful uh, that I like to pass on is a lot of people come to me for advice these days, and I never thought I would be a counselor giving advice. Uh, <laughs> and it can be on all sorts of things. Uh, and we'll, we'll take an example of someone asking me for advice in terms of the property market. So, in, in New Zealand, the property market's sinking at the moment, and do I get another property or do I? They're not sure what to do. So, it, it's, it's irrelevant. What it is is irrelevant, but it, it's the question and, and the struggle. So I always say to myself, what you do is you do a little bit of research uh, and you try and find out where you think the market's going and what's happening. And you get the facts together. And with the facts, you make a decision. Now, whether that decision turns to be out to be right or wrong, that doesn't worry me. So I decide to buy a house, for example, and the house price goes down. Now, if I've done my research and looked and talked to a few experts and think I've got the right decision and the house price goes down and I lose money, I don't get stressed anymore because I didn't actively go out of my way to make a bad decision. Hindsight's proven that to be a bad decision. So I'm happy with the result. Uh, And my thinking is that if I keep thinking and and doing what I think within my powers are the best I can do to make the right decision, then it doesn't matter if it goes wrong. But if I do that, I'm convinced that eight times out of 10, it will be right. So there's always going to be a few times it's wrong. So now I tell people just to do the research and then decide on a decision. and it it doesn't matter if it's right or wrong, so long as you put the work in and come up with it. and then you've got to trust in faith, take that gamble, and that's the big leap of faith that some people can't can and can't do. So we teach them to to study a little bit, to understand the problem and then make a decision. Not making a decision is the worst thing possible. Yes. Uh, and, and another example, so coming back to how I've learned, I I've got dyslexia, so I'm shocking at reading. I tend to learn more from other people. Uh, And my wife is is a big, I I haven't mentioned much on here, but she's a big influence on me. Uh, And she said, look, when we're doing business, she said, I haven't got time for that. Just make a decision and move on. Uh, And it's like, yeah, when people are in there, there's a salesman. Do I go here and do that? And she's looking said, I've got this whole business to run with Mike. Make a decision. Do the things, make a decision. And and things like that drove it home. It doesn't matter if the decision's right or wrong. Just make a decision. That's the first thing to to go forward. Amazing. Uh, is is the hardest thing. Uh, And people get comfortable with what they've got. And they think, oh, well, I'd rather be having this than than get it wrong and go backwards. Well, actually, I'd rather be making all the mistakes and having the, the nervousness and excitement of life every day than the boredom of getting up and having... Uh, I, I won't say it is, but I know a person who gets up, has two pieces of toast and a cup of coffee every morning and has done that for 25 years. Well, yeah. I don't want to be that person. You know, I want to get up uh, when my wife's saying, do you want a coffee uh, and two pieces of toast? I said, nope, we're going to go out for breakfast today and have bacon, I don't eat meat actually, bacon and eggs is a classic <laughs> English thing, but uh, you know, we're, we're going to do something totally different. So I, I'd rather be that person and, and changing it all the time. I, I definitely think change is very important. Get out of your comfort zone regularly. Keep changing it and mixing it up. That gives you the excitement. Something to get out of bed for every day.
0: I agree with you a million percent. And I love, I already love your wife. And I feel like we both hit the jackpot with the people that we're married to in our lives. Because my wife, I think, is unbelievable. But to have that influence and someone that's there kind of pushing you to just make the decision. Because you're so right. It's a sitting there you know, not taking any action that's going to lead to the most pain rather than making a decision. So I, what I'm hearing you say is that if you made the decision, you're making it, you're doing the best that you can with what you know at the time. You're making a decision with good intent. So whatever happens, whether it works out or not, you should feel good about the fact that you took action. Is that right? Yeah.
1: I, and I think although I, I had this sort of, negative background, be safe, be safe for my parents. I think by the time I got to 20, although I was still a bit negative in running because I wasn't confident in my ability, I didn't realize how good I was. uh, I I got to that point where I I like gambling and testing things. So for example, I graduated university uh, in 1984. Uh, And actually I'd won the British University's 1500 meter championship. But as I, I tell you, well, Sebastian Coe was running bigger events, all the other people in my class. I was the fifth fastest runner in my class, but they were elsewhere. But you can only win a race against those who are there. So I then you know, thought, well, that, that was something I could use down the line. But I decided I was going to go to the States and see if I could live in the States for a year. So all my mates in the, the north of England, which is, you know, it, it, it's a working class area, probably in like the Midwest where people don't leave home. They all stay there and they're still there now. And uh, They say, well, we'll see you back here in a couple of weeks time. So Freddie Laker had set these airline tickets up for $99 to fly from London to New York. I got a single ticket over to New York. I didn't have enough money to come home. And it's like, I'm in America now, here I am. Uh, And uh, I managed to stay there for a year uh, and and get to go to college in Long Beach for a year. Uh, And uh, that was the first time I really experimented. Uh, And on the plane, I remember going on the plane thinking, okay, I've got $100 in my pocket. I'm not going to go far. I need to make some friends." So I just walked up and down the plane chatting to people, and I found a couple of lecturers who were going to the States for six weeks, uh, and they were going to drive across to LA. Well, the Olympics were on in LA, and I thought, can I follow you? Do you mind if I tag along? they said, oh, no, we've done some research. We're getting these drive-away cars. We can deliver them, uh, drive across the country for free. Join us. And So I joined them. Uh, And then we had these great adventures, which, in a sense, is a book in its own right. Uh, but I managed. I, at one point, I was living homeless in, in Long Beach until I managed to get a scholarship. And, and the homeless guys were showing me where the McDonald's would put food out that you could eat for free, uh, and the restaurants that were kind and, and helpful. Uh, and uh, eventually, you know, I uh, uh, I managed to to survive and get there. But uh, amazing experiment and test. But I, I managed to live a year there, uh, and that 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 toughened me up a lot, uh, knowing that i think at the end of my mind i kept thinking practically well if i go to the british consulate in la they'll get me home uh somehow and then there will be hell to pay <laughs> when i get back but at least i was thinking there's a way out some people might not have that that backup in a sense but uh, I, I kept thinking that was the safety net i always try and think what's the safety net i've got uh when i try something new but,
0: uh... Uh, you're so incredibly courageous and brave and resilient. I mean that's that takes a lot of courage to go do something like that and to be, you know, living on the streets. And you hear so many stories of these extraordinary people that have done extraordinary things like you have. And what led to them becoming that person and so often it's these hardships so again, it's taking me back to that question. What about someone that you know, doesn't feel like they've had a lot of hardship in their lives? Is, it, is there no chance they're gonna get to that level? Like what must be done? And let's kind of start getting into like training type stuff. Um, what will it take for that person that hasn't necessarily experienced great hardship to develop that kind of toughness to do the extraordinary well it, it's not a
1: hardship you don't need to have a hardship you need to have a plan and if you you need to work with someone with a life goal that it doesn't have to be sport I'll give you another example uh, a friend of mine and my running club said you played chess this was about six years ago and he only wanted to give me a game of chess to beat me so he played me and I said well I think I know the rules of chess anyway he, he beat me uh and then I thought this is going to happen forever. So I went away and got how to beat your father at chess, opening moves to white, opening moves to black, you know, chess for dummies. Uh, and about four years later, I actually got to beat him in a game of chess. He still beats me in most games. But the point was, I, I got myself a challenge. Uh, and I thought, now I have a new challenge. It's not a sporting challenge. It's a goal. What am I going to do? So you need to get the goal first, that must be a stretch target But a realistic stretch target. If it's too easy, you'll give up and and move on. Oh, that was too easy. If it's too hard, you'll give up. So the hard thing is working with someone, getting the advice to make sure that you stay on track. And the target is just tough enough to keep you going. So it doesn't have to be a hardship. I have no money. I have no job. I'm homeless. That's uh, that's a a little bit rough. It's like, what can I do? Is it am I going to take great photographs? Uh, I, I initially on Instagram I thought I've got to be a photographer. I got the Canon EOS camera, took the best photographs out there and realized now people don't follow me for my photographing ability, they follow me for what I have to say. So, so long as the photograph is in focus uh, and, and it's a reasonable picture, that's good enough. So, I changed that. So, so that wasn't my target. So, so they need to have a, a goal, uh, that, that's a realistic stretch target in my view. And then the ideal is if you can't get a coach in person, get something on, online or get a book or get something that's got a structure that can help add, give you tips to stay on your plan. Uh, and for me, you know, my wife helps me stay on track. You know, so when I'm, you know, going get, getting up and, and training and, and doing things, actually, for me, these days, it tends to be the other way around. She says, take a, desk, a rest day. Look into my <laughs> Those eyes are looking a little tired. Just it's OK, Mike, to lie in bed and have a, a coffee and not do anything today. But you might be the other way around. You might need someone, a partner, a friend, just to say, hey, it's six o'clock. It's time to get out and do that walk you said you would do every day, you know, so, mm-hmm. uh, yeah.
0: And I think the biggest thing that I hear with that, you know, is have have a goal, set up a plan and make sure that this goal, you're, it's gonna be uncomfortable. Cause we all know that everything great is outside your comfort zone. To get anything to move you have to apply pressure pressure doesn't feel great all the time it's a little bit uncomfortable so um, i think that's great and i love the idea of of getting someone who can help you a mentor a friend your partner uh whatever it is so mike what i love i mean here you are you're 60 years old you don't look it you look maybe you know 40 max so you're obviously doing something right what are the key factors in maintaining your health, your energy, and your ability to do all that you do every day.
1: I shock everyone. I go to bed early. I mean, I'm in bed at nine o'clock. Uh, and uh, sleep is for me the biggest thing. Uh, I, I never, I've never used an alarm clock in my life. So I'll give you a, a, a funny story on this one, that we were going to fly back to the UK from Japan. And my wife said, we can't afford to miss the plane. Uh, I'm going to set the alarm. And I said, look, I'll wake up. And she said, no, no, I'm going to set the alarm. And I said, OK, so long as you guarantee the alarm's set, I won't wake up. So anyway, she forgot to turn the alarm off. Funny story. We wake up at 6 o'clock. The plane's leaving at 6.30. Uh, and uh, she's super optimistic. She said, no, nope, there could be a problem. We've still got to get to the airport. We haven't missed it until we've missed it. So some people might give up there. So we jumped in a taxi. And the taxi driver looked us, how he'd like to go there. And I just remember saying, the fastest way. And he goes, What about the tolls? Fastest way anyway. He got us there. We walked at the airport and uh, the announcement, we'd just like to announce a further delay to the British airways flight to London. And we made it. So uh, there's lots of things in that, you know, in terms of takeaways, you've got to be positive. But the point is, for me, is going to bed early is going back to the original story. I go to bed early uh, and I get up and I can wake up when I need to wake up on the morning because I'm freshed. Uh, and if you need an alarm clock to wake up in the morning, my argument would be, you're not getting enough sleep. Yeah. So, uh, it, I've never missed any appointments. I've never slept in and I've never had an alarm clock apart from that one time. So that's number one, uh, nutrition. This is a fascinating one because I am a pescatarian. So I eat fish, uh, and I don't eat any meat. Uh, and I've done that for most of my life. Uh, and, uh. I, I try to eat unprocessed foods the best I can. And I try not to have cakes and desserts and put sugar in things. Uh, and that's partly driven because we ha- genetically we have uh, high cholesterol. So by my age, my father, my aunt, and my uncle had all had triple bypass operations, oh high blood pressure, but I have high cholesterol naturally. So I got my cholesterol and my eating and everything in order. Uh, and uh, I trained for the Ironman. Uh, Well, you need to take gels, you finish a ride and everyone stops off and has a cake uh, uh, and a bun. Uh, And I came back, had a blood test. And amazingly, my liver count was perfect. My kidneys were perfect. And that was after the problem I had with kidneys in hospital. But my cholesterol was through the roof. It had gone up again. So I need to get, I need to work out for me, there's always a new goal. So I need to get back to eating less sugar but getting the carbohydrates in. So I have to work on that. That's something I need to work on. But coming back to it, we've all got things to work on. Life's not not perfect. So I, but diet is the next one. So sleep uh, and getting the diet that works for you. And I'm not saying my diet would work for everyone else. We need to work out the diet that works for us. Uh, And I get blood tests to keep that in order. Uh, Then the other thing is that keeps me, inverted commas, it sounds young, is I like challenges. So Yes. My, I, I, I had a business uh, and uh, we sold the business in 2015 when I was 52. And so I retired, but I don't like to use the word retired. So look, yes, we're financially secure. Uh, I'm very privileged to be in that position. But my definition of retirement is not having to go to work, is you work to live when you're working. When you're retired, you live to work. So now every day, I live to work and I get up and I have to do my coaching, my training. I do open water swims with people, run with people. I do the online stuff. I help mentor people. I'm helping my son build up his coaching business. So we, we, I do all that, but I don't consider that work, but it's a challenge.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, and
1: outside of the challenge, I make sure that because I'm essentially a sportsman, I have to have some non-sporting challenges. Uh, and one of those is my chess, which I play chess. I'm always playing chess every day and studying that. So that's to stop me getting Alzheimer's. Some people might do Sudoku or whatever, or math challenges or the crosswords. I use that. So I have some mental arithmetic that I like to do every day, uh, but essentially challenges. And I'll give you a story why that's important. My father used to, he He was basically given a death sentence with his pacemaker and uh, his bypass and everything else a long time ago. But he did readings for the blind. Uh, And after 70, he stopped drinking and he became a a good father. So in that sense, he was a good man at the end. He tried to make up for lost time. And so he would do reading for the blind uh, and lots of activities, charity works for free. But around about 90 years old, he said, I'm too old for this and stopped doing the, the poetry and the things. He was dead within a year, Uh, and so he hadn't got anything to get out of bed to live for. And I think we have to keep doing that. That if he'd kept reading and pushing himself and 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 trying to do these things, he could have lived to be a lot longer. And I see so many people that are given inverted commas death sentences but keep going because they have something to live for. Yes. Uh, And so that's another thing. I have so many. to live for i've got to cut them down in many ways but yeah i have a a joy of life every day i get up and i love love life Uh, amazing
0: amazing they're they're my
1: main main things is the 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 challenges the joy of life uh health uh sleeping uh, and diet and exercise i I know i do too much exercise technically to be in that class of really healthy but i think it's balanced by having low stress so i think I can talk forever, unfortunately. (laughs) Unfortunately, I love it. So it's not actually the doing the sports or doing things that's going to kill you. It's worrying about them. Am I doing too much sport? Am I training too hard? That stress will kill you. But if you do too much sport, but you love it, you have no stress, I guarantee it won't kill you (laughs) You, you, because you're enjoying life too much. So it's worrying about things and and the stress that is the biggest problem. So try and live a stress-free life uh, and work out where your stresses are. Are they the people around you are they your environment is it where you live is it your work uh yeah whatever the the things are and can you get rid of the stresses some stresses we can't get rid of i mean we need we all need a little stress so uh brilliant my my tips or some of my
0: absolutely (laughs) brilliant and what are do you do any sorts of things like yoga or meditation breath work like how do you relieve your stress it's
1: it's going to bed early and it's it's having that time in bed i i use the word meditate very informally i don't do any formal meditation yoga but i do like to just lie in bed and relax uh and listen to music music uh is probably what the biggest thing i have in common with my daughter we we listen to songs together all the time and i, I can't sing uh, but I, I love music and i love listening to music with my daughter and that's a big stress release for me
0: amazing uh,
1: photography is another stress release i'm on a, a website it's a, fe- a, a facebook group it's it's runners with a camera and it, it's quite an interesting one because It was for runners. Everyone takes their phone with them when they run. And you can take a picture of your running, but the only rule is you can't take a picture of you running. It's where where you run. It's like, we don't want to see you running. We don't, you know, nobody's interested in a picture of you running again. So it's only you that wants to see a picture of you running kind of thing. So let's put a picture of where you run. Uh, And so I I like getting up on the morning and taking a picture of the ocean where I swim or uh, where I run. And so I quite like my photography as well. And that's a big stress release, just going for a walk with the dog. Uh, and taking photographs as well.
0: Amazing, and it sounds to me like for everyone listening, your forms of stress release don't have to be exactly what Mike's are or what mine are, but it's figuring out what are the things that you do in your life that give you a sense of calm or fill you up or make you feel better. What are those things? And just make sure that you're finding time every single day to do some of those things that bring you that sense of peace.
1: Now, Mike. My- I know. We, can I just say one other thing? I know we, we have lots in common. That what I would say. I had a dog when I was growing up, and I used to run with it for 16 years, a collie. And I te- kept saying to my daughter, "We can't have a dog until we're settled." You know, Japan. We we're living in Japan seven years. We we're in a city. We're transient. I'm sorry. We we got a dog when we came to New Zealand. And I would say, for anything to bring the family together uh, and to reduce stress, get yourself a dog. Uh, and look, at, and and if possible, go to a shelter and get a dog from a shelter, uh, okay. and we walk on the beach, uh, and uh, you know. So me, my wife, my daughter is walking on the beach, throwing sticks with the dog. That's amazing stress release. You just look at the sunsets and think, wow. You know, it's there's 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 a million ways of stress. It might be a cat that people want. It could be. I mean, I know you do a lot with the horses. You know, you can't. It's not easy for everyone to get horses, but uh, there's there's lot of things you can do uh for stress release and pets are a fantastic way of of calming you down
0: i love that you just mentioned that mike because yes yes and yes and go to the local shelter they're magical beings there because they're so grateful to be given a second chance so i love that you added that in now talking about your philosophies Um, One of the things that that Beck and I are so adamant about in training our athletes is removing the gadgets, you know, the heart rate monitors and the power meters and all that stuff. Because to me, in my opinion, the reason why I don't love it is I feel it puts the athlete in a constant judgment zone and you're relying on this um, this power meter or heart rate monitor to tell you whether you're good enough or you're not in every single moment and i feel like the biggest thing is is that it holds people back it puts a ceiling over their head so tell me your um what led you to your opinion on the use of gadgets
1: well you know we agree on this 100 percent. so we're we're not going to argue on this one but I get a lot of flack online with people saying I can't train without that. How can I run in the right zone without a heart rate monitor? How can I do this? And I think, well, you know, I did okay for 30 years of running without a heart rate monitor. <laughs> you know, I, I ran and when I got tired, I slowed down. Uh, when I felt good, I went fast again. And then we'd do informal sessions and we used a, a watch, from, you know, when we got more serious. It, 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 it's bad because when I was a kid growing up, I had to wait until there was a, a magazine called Athletics Weekly. So it was still quite good. But once a week, I could find the results out and see what other people were doing. But the rest of the time, I was on my own running round a course that I thought was four miles round, but it could have been four and a half. It could have been three and a half. But I knew roughly how long it took to t- go around. Uh, and, and I was in my own world then. Now, when people are training, they're not because they're, they're on the bike, for example, cycling at 210 watts. And they know that to do the race in Kona they have to be holding 230 watts uh, and they, they try and pick it up even though they're meant to be on an easy ride uh, and they should actually probably be holding about 150 watts. Okay. So there's, there's so many issues with, with power that people become a slave to the watch, a slave to the power meter, a slave to the stopwatch. So I, I, I like to put the watch on From a different point of view, as a coach, I swim in the ocean. I put it on and I look at the data afterwards just to have a look at it. But it's not something that I I look at while I'm doing the training. And I like my athletes that I coach seriously to wear the watches and the gadgets, but I don't like them to look at them so much. I I, say, let me look at them, uh, (laughs) but let's discuss it afterwards. Uh, That's um, exactly what I do. (laughs) Another reason is, is too little knowledge or, or people think they know too much and they know nothing. So I get questions uh, and the biggest bugbear is uh, what happens if I exceed my maximum heart rate? And I said, you need to study a little bit more about simple what, rules of English language. You can't exceed your maximum heart rate. Oh no, no. But I'm told my maximum heart rate is this. I said, well, it can't be if you've got another if your maximum heart rate on the watch is that it's not. So people don't understand what they're doing. Uh, And they're using, for example, they're not using a chest strap. And I know some people can get a reasonably accurate one without a chest strap. But the further away you take the heart reading from the heart, the more inaccurate it's going to be. So the most accurate is going to be right next to the heart, then higher up on the arm, uh, and then an optical one is least accurate. So there's lots of things where the data isn't necessarily correct. So all these factors just added up to me to say, well, look, Beginners just need to get out and learn to understand their bodies. Once you understand your body, then you can get on the gadgets. And too many people say, I can't understand my body without the gadgets. Uh, and it's the chicken and the egg. I, I think it's easy. And, and I remember Becky writing on one of my posts, you know, sub- oh an RPE scaler of training on perceived. It's too difficult. You say, how, what's difficult about easy? If it feels easy, it is easy. People are overcomplicating it. You yeah. know if it's easy or hard. You know, said, But I go too fast. Well, you're going too fast, but you know intrinsically if something is easy or hard because that's all we've had through the ages, you know, fight and flight syndrome. People knew when they're running away, oh, I can't keep this going along, but I have to try and escape. It's hard. Uh, and they knew when they were chasing after hunter and gatherers they're chasing after an animal for hours and hours they think this is an easy pace i can keep it going so i think if through the years without watches, we've learned to, to listen to our bodies i think we need to do that first and then we can introduce the gadgets to tweak it to get the pbs or, or the prs as you say in america to get the good times down the line once we have understand what our bodies are capable of
0: absolutely and i do what you do mike i they can have the power meter on the bike. I wanna see it, but when they're riding, they're looking at cadence and cadence alone. And I don't want them paying attention because I believe that when you come to know your body, when you come to know, yes, I can hold this pace for 10K and it's gonna lead me to my best 10K, my personal best. When you have that relationship with your body, that trust that you know you know, what a certain effort feels like. I believe from that space of trusting yourself that that confidence can lead you to extraordinary results. Whereas if you are counting on, God forbid you've trained with heart rate and power every second of every single day and on race day, your battery runs out. I mean, what do you do? What's gonna happen? Will you have any idea what a certain effort feels like so for me and I think that you you hit the nail on the head by saying come to know your body first build that trust that understanding that relationship with perceived effort knowing what kind of an effort is necessary to get a certain outcome but and then from there you can start using it but I think that we become more of a whole athlete by doing it on our own first, before you start adding that stuff, which I think is exactly what you're saying. Yeah, it's,
1: it's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. And, uh, I, 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 you know, I've discussed this with my son now he coaches as well. And we discussed this a lot that, uh, I'll do a, we'll make, we'll say an example of 10 K, uh, and I'm trying to run a certain time. Now I run along uh, and I look at the kilometers markers actually almost just to break the race up more than anything. To look at the watch, and if, if I'm ahead of schedule, I don't suddenly say, oh, got to slow down too fast. Yes. Oh, the heart rate's too high, slow down in a race. And I have this a lot. I don't give a monkey's what your heart rate is in a race. If you can maintain that to the end, that's fine, it doesn't matter. So I, I, I split my training, you know, in, into sort of perceived train, perceived effort in the base training. And then in race period, we we tend to run more at race paces uh, and get get race pace. And if if I was going to do any heart rate training, it would be in the early stages of training with experienced athletes. But when I'm getting ready for races, you've got to do it all on what your body feels, because it doesn't matter what the power meter says, what the heart rate says or anything. If you can hold that pace, go for it. So you've got to trust in your body. So I look at it and, and I might think, oh, I'm five seconds quicker than normal. That's good. Uh, because I know what I'm feeling like inside. I'm not looking and saying, oh, I'm overpaced. Oh, I'm five seconds slower, I'm underpaced. If I look down and I'm, I'm slower than I should be, it's, oh, my body is not not performing as I thought it would be today. As, uh, and so definitely I look at the statistics, because, but I can look at them objectively from the outside. But I think too many novice runners can't do that. And yeah. so my example, I always say is, you wouldn't give a kid a calculator to learn maths once he's learned the principles of maths and can do his mathematics then you give him a calculator to speed it up so once ah, you to run and listen to your body then when the body knows what it's doing then you can give them the power meter the heart rate monitor but initially let's work on feel and then we can become more efficient and more tuned in uh with with more gadgets and i think you need Great. to be honest. To, to get the best out of your body, you need a power meter, you need a heart rate monitor, you need lactate testing, you even need the glucose monitoring that that that's coming in. There's there's a lot of things that we need to do uh to get the best. But to get started, but those are the add-ons, the base of the pyramid, if you want the pyramid to go up high, the base needs to be perceived yes. rate of exertion.
0: Yes, amazing. And how about, you know, when you are designing. A training plan, and we'll just talk a run training plan. What are the percentages of different types of sessions? For example, what are the key sessions that you give, say, every week or every two week period? What are the key sessions, and what are the percentages of hard, hard work versus recovery or easy effort stuff? So
1: I, I tried what I've tried to do is come up with a system. Because now my Instagram has gone crazy in terms of the number of followers. I didn't expect it to, so I've got a, a, such a broad spectrum. I wanted to come up with a system, so I'm constantly giving the same message, and uh, uh, and it's because often if you're just putting information out, you might be saying things that sound contradictory because they're different viewpoints and theories. So I'm trying to stay constant with it. That you have what I call a base period of training, which is essentially aerobic, and I would say ninety-five percent of it's easy. Uh, Anything that's hard is, is probably weight training and strength training in that period. Uh, maybe a, a little bit, you know, pushing the, the aerobic runs a little bit harder, but essentially lots of training, a few drills, uh, perceived exertion, or if you're, you've are you done it a lot, you can look at the heart rate, keep it nice and aerobic. Then I move to a block where you pick a race and you target a race. That could be a 5k up to a marathon, or it might be a triathlon, whatever, and in that block, we don't work so much on heart rate we work on pace on getting the right pace and i don't really care what your heart rate does because you're trying to get on running efficiency you're trying to get the cope with the lactic threshold uh, and you what we call we're trying to deflect that curve to the right a little bit you're trying to run the whole the same pace but make it aerobic uh, and yeah. that only takes about six weeks to to perfect if yeah. you're inefficient 10 weeks so we give them a block of work that may be anywhere from six to 12 weeks uh, and that's uh, more intense work. Having said that, in that race preparation period, the more intense work, there's still probably no more than two sessions a week hard. If you're a triathlete, maybe three, one swim, one bite, one run. Uh, and we might or we might mix them up and have you know swim bike runs together. But it essentially it's still 80% easy and 20% hard. Yeah. Now, what I would say is the variation on that is if you're not doing much runner running and you're a beginner you might have a higher percentage of hard work than easy because the rest days replicate an easy session. So you can't do all this training without overtraining. So if you've got seven days in a week and you're only training for three days and you do one hard run, one long run and one easy run, people say, oh, that's not the 80-20 rule. That's a 30-30-30 rule. That's a, a third rule. That's your way off. I say, ah no, but you've got to remember there's four days of no training because they're beginners. That now puts us back into the 80-20 rule. Thank you very much. So the rest days count as easier recovery days. But obviously, as you get more experience, I'd hope that they would be able to put in some form of walking or stretching other exercises to fill in the other days. And then one other thing I'd like to add in, because I get a lot of questions on this, that I say I don't like my athletes to run every day. And yes, if you want to go to the Olympics and are focused as an elite runner, Yes, I think you have to push the barriers and accept that you might get injured, but you have to take the risk and run every day. I'm talking about health and longevity. You don't need to. Longevity of a running, you don't need to run every day. But what they get wrong is I train every day. I don't mean don't do sport every day. I just mean do something else, mix it up. So I I might run four times a week, uh, but I'll swim and cycle and go to the gym. So I mix it up. So I train seven days a week uh but i just don't run every day that's uh, something that's often misunderstood in terms of my training theories
0: amazing this is just so so helpful and mike what's on your goal list for the future i mean you've done it all i i feel like after this year that was such an extraordinary feat that you accomplished going to kona after everything that you've been through doing 11 hours which is just unbelievable running was this was this 17 minute 5k around this time as well
1: no so uh i i've actually no 18 20 i've done for 5k with since i've broken my leg so uh i i did early in the year i did before i broke my leg i ran it was 17 28 i think I around before I broke At my leg. 60
0: years old
1: right yes so unbelievable what like? What my target is, actually, is on the 17th of December, there's the night of 5Ks uh, in in Auckland, and I want to see how close I can get to 17 minutes. So that gives me about six weeks. Yeah. The only thing is I did go to the track, actually, on uh, Wednesday and tried a few easy 400s. (laughs) I I thought it hurt running the marathon, but (laughs) running on the track, jeez. My leg was... I, I've got to work out some strategies to absorb the shock better yeah. uh, because just the pain in my, my quad uh, was absolutely through the roof. Uh, and, and I've been told until I get the rods out, which they need to be in for another year, unfortunately. So until I get the rods out, I've just got to suck it up and see. So it, it's going to come down to how much speed work I can do. But uh, I like a challenge and it doesn't phase me if I don't do it. But I think I can get under 1730. Uh, and I'd like to see how close, if I, I don't, I don't think I can get under 17 minutes. I think that's around about somewhere between 17, and 17. Uh, and
0: well, good I, other things I
1: realized that, uh, I entered a, a half Ironman, uh, New Zealand before COVID about three or four years ago. And that's in December as well. So I, uh, since I've entered it, I might, <laughs> I might just that's go down great. and do that as well. There's always well, something on the horizon.
0: Well, as you know, Beck and I will be over here cheering you on every step of the way, and of course believing that you're going to achieve all these things that you set for yourself. Well, I've
1: got a question for you though before you. So yes. Bex is doing her marathon. I think it's in Florida.
0: Yes, in January.
1: Yes, so are you going? Yeah. Are you going to race? I do.
0: No. Well, so I have a new bionic hip, which I love. I had I just trashed my <laughs> hips uh, in my career. So I got a new hip and it feels amazing. And I run maybe at the very most an hour, uh, three days a week because I just want to really take care of my hip. Maybe one day I'll do a 10K or something, but the marathon has never tempted me. So I'm going to just cheer on my amazing wife as she crushes it. Hopefully she'll be smiling the whole way. I'm going to make sure she tries to, um, but no, no races on the horizon at this point. I think I'm just really enjoying being alive. Every single breath that I take is a miracle. And I want to honor my body and love my body and use it in every way that I can. And to me, that's just, um, you know, doing the things that I love every day, whether that's running, hiking, riding my bike or riding my horse. Those are the things that bring me joy and, um, mm-hmm. just, just honoring my health and, and staying healthy forevermore for the next 50 years. For new, sure. new
1: challenges. So my wife, do you know, do you have Spartan racing in
0: America? Yeah. So fun. So I've never done it.
1: But... Into, she's into CrossFit and Spartan. So, uh, I've done one uh, which I I didn't enjoy but she's got me signed up to do another one in uh, November this month which I probably won't enjoy either but I figure that I need to do uh, more activities with my wife as well so that's uh, another new challenge for me so I'm going to join CrossFit as well so I'll be going to CrossFit twice a week so in terms of challenges that's something totally new for me just to keep that functional movement there I I think as we get old we lose the, the flexibility the strength uh, and, uh, so I'm going to give CrossFit a go. So always lots of new challenges in, in there for me. They don't have to be a swim, bike or run per se, but, uh, yeah.
0: I love it. Always having a challenge. And that leaves me to my last question, Mike, if you could leave one piece of advice to everyone who's listening today, something that you feel would be of incredible value for them to take with them into the rest of their lives to make it the less, the best life possible. What would that be? One, one piece of advice that you think is the most valuable piece you could give.
1: You've got to set yourself a goal, a stretch target. That's not too far in the future, not too close. Uh, And then as you're getting close to that goal, you have to move the goalpost, as we say in English. So you then move it further out. And so, my, my goals will never end. So uh, for example, people say, how can you keep running when you're getting slower? Well, I'm not getting slow at 60. I'll set a new goal as a 60 year old. I'll set a new yeah. goal as a 75 year old. I'll, uh, I'll aim to be the oldest runner ever, you know, to do whatever, but it, it doesn't have to be as lofty a goal as mine. Mine are always pushing at the limits, seeing where the limits are, but it, it needs to, and you don't need to worry what other people's goals are, but have a goal that's further away than you can reach now. And if you can do it now, it's not a goal and you have to be you have to plan for it and, and work towards it and enjoy the process. The worst thing is it's a one way journey. We, we don't go back anywhere. So you've got to enjoy every day. Enjoy the process while you're working towards the goal. So in hospital, I still made sure I enjoyed something every day in hospital. When I got out of bed, I enjoyed going to the convenience store and buying myself a coffee. And I look forward to that. It sounds silly now, but the biggest treat for me was getting up at six o'clock in the morning and getting that coffee. And so have something that you enjoy every day while working towards the goal.
0: Amazing. Mike Trees, thank you so much. You're extraordinary. Where can everybody follow you and get more of you?
1: So I I post on Instagram, run.nrg, and they can follow me there. And I, I answer all serious questions. Uh, at least I I try to, uh, once in a while I can't quite keep up, but you know, if 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 they're on topic, I, I'll answer all the questions. So feel free to message me if you do follow me.
0: Oh, Mike, I am so grateful for you taking the time today. Thank you thank for you being much. you.
1: Mike, thank you very much for inviting me and hopefully I'll get over to Boulder one day or you two come over to New Zealand.
0: Well, we will, and you must get here as well. We can't wait to meet you in person. Thank you for being you. You're an incredible inspiration. And thank you everybody for listening in to the Bedhead Chronicles. Enjoy the show. Thank you, Mike. Thank you for listening and sharing this precious time with me. Please remember to subscribe and to leave me a review. You can find me on Instagram at Siri Linley, Facebook, Siri Linley, and Twitter at Celt. S-E-L-T-S. You can also reach me via email at info at Have an amazing day and shine on.